Welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. As always, I'm your host, Steve Hofstetter. If you enjoy the show, please like, comment, share, subscribe, do all the stuff you do to support the art that you like. And I'm joined here with Brian Kiley. Um, Brian, you you don't even know this, but uh, you, well, let me first drop your credits before I tell you this part. (laughs) So Brian, how long have you been writing for Conan? 25 years. 25 years you've been writing for Conan. 25 and a half years. 25 and a half years. Yeah. Just get that extra half there. Sure. It's like I'm like a small child. It's got to, exactly. <laughs> we need to we need to get every little bit that counts. So few people, first of all, most comics haven't been in the business that long, let alone well, some aren't haven't been alive that long. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh yeah, we just had Trevor Wallace on who I think is 26. So that that half matters, <laughs> matters. in that one. It hugely matters. Yeah. So, uh most people don't have staying power at the jobs they have. I mean, that's part of this podcast as we talk to people about, you know, the opportunity they thought they had and then it went away or et cetera. Sure, sure. So to have a steady gig and a good one for 25 years is so rare in this business. 25 and a half. 20, right, 25, <laughs> let alone 25 and a half. So, um, but also, uh, you know, and you're a stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was an interview that I heard you do and I don't even remember what this was for. It was some sort of, you know, comics talking about comedy series. And this was, I think this was before I ever even met you. And it always stuck with me. There was there was something you said about writing, uh, writing a tag. And for those, you know, uninitiated listening or watching, a tag is basically, uh, I call it a, you know, it's a, it's a punchline that doesn't need a premise because its premise was the previous punchline. Yes, it's it's like a topper to the previous joke. Right, so right. you've already got a joke. Yeah, I mean, the way I said it was unnecessarily complicated, but basically <laughs> you already have a joke and then you just throw another joke on top of that joke. Right, right. So that's a tag. Um, and you said something that I thought was so brilliant and made so much sense, but I had never thought of it that way, which is you should never have a tag that's not as funny as the line before it, which makes sense because from an arc perspective, you should always ramp up. Right, right. But there are so many people who, they have a punchline that might be like a nine out of 10. And then, because it's very rare to have a 10. Sure. But you have a punchline that's a nine out of 10, and then you have a tag that's a seven out of 10. Now, normally a seven out of 10 would be great. That's, that's That's a solid laugh, but you just, <laughs> right, had the right, nine, right. <laughs> and I never thought of it that way until you said it. I thought it was just such a brilliant analysis <clears throat> of the structure of writing, and something that I've always admired in your set is your writing. Well, thanks. You're welcome. And now, obviously, you know you write for Conan. Clearly, writing is your strong suit. Sure, sure. But mm-hmm. just the idea, the from a technical standpoint, you know your your comedy. I mean, you're you're funny no matter what. But from a technical standpoint, it's particularly impressive. And so for any of my viewers or listeners that don't know Brian's comedy, I urge you to watch it from that perspective because <laughs> it's, you know, you'll you'll learn a few things. Well, thanks. You know, I, I started out in Boston and I used to watch this guy, Kenny Rogerson, mm-hmm. who would do he would do an interesting setup and then he would do a funny joke and then he would tag it and tag it and tag it and those tags just built on it plus you you know when you hear a set of a joke you're waiting for the punchline yeah. but you, you but you're not expecting the tag yeah you know and then you're not expecting another tag and another tag and what he would do with his tags was he would create these visuals for whatever the joke was that just 
that just made the joke that much funnier because now you're really picturing what's happening. And so just watching him was where I that's where I saw the beauty of of tag of good tags. Yeah. You and know? every now and then you, every now and then, you know, you'll be watching a comic and the easiest way to think of a tag for another comic is where you thought the joke was going. Right. You know, you thought the joke was going somewhere. They went somewhere else with it. And then you go, oh, well, you could go this place with it. Yes. And so when I now I've learned not to just give a comic a tag because sometimes people don't want them. So I'll always say, would you like a tag? Oh, well, I, you know, I appreciate when people do that to me. And I hate to admit, most of the time I say thank you and it's it's either not a good idea yeah. <laughs> or I think, oh, that's funny. And then I try it and it doesn't work for whatever reason. You Most know? of the time it Most doesn't. Most of the time it doesn't. So, But I do have a few tags that someone gave me that I'm appreciative of. Absolutely. Yeah. Some, of, some of the best lines of my act were either tags someone gave me or they gave me a tag. I didn't like that one, but it made me think of it differently. Right, right. And then it pushed me to a different direction. Interesting. And I, I do love giving people tags. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It's a fun thing. As a writer, and I'm someone who very much respects the the written craft of comedy, um, you know, I'm not really into comics who get laughs because of how they are on stage. Right, right. I like comics who would be just as funny to read. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, I like that too. And I also think, um, what was I going to say about tags is tags can kind of ground the joke in reality more. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And Expand on that. Well, I was watching an episode of Cheers one time mm -hmm. where somebody said something about the, the Brooklyn Bridge, and Coach said, I owned that once, and that was a funny joke. Great joke, and yeah. And he had to take, oh, took me forever to unload it, or something like that. Yeah. And that just made, you just pictured him on the phone, he's trying to make deals, and <laughs> yeah. that just added that extra layer of, now you've got this visual in your head that's so great. Yeah, of Coach trying to <laughs> sell like, oh my back God. the Brooklyn Guys, Bridge. Guys, I've got the Brooklyn Bridge, i got to get rid of it, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, you know, he's cutting deals with people, it just makes it so much, it just adds to the, I think it just grounds it makes it more real, like reality based or something. Yeah, absolutely. And also great example of a very well-written show. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely. think that uh, I've always thought that Cheers and the Golden Girls were just two of the best written sitcoms. I wouldn't be surprised if there were overlap in some of the writers. Oh yeah, probably. You know. Yeah. Um so yeah, both NBC shows, right? And a lot of sh a lot of those shows if you watch the names you're like, "Oh, I saw that name on this show and that show, you know, whatever." Yeah. Uh yeah, that happened a lot. Yeah. So, uh every now and then when a comic says no thanks to a tag, mm -hmm. <laughs> I find that so weird because why would, you hear, why would you hear they, what they have to offer? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think some people yes. might because of the ego, I guess maybe they. Oh, I don't want to have anyone say they wrote for me, or but it's just it's well, like brainstorming. Uh, no, it's you know, as I, I mean, if a hundred people offer me tags, ninety nine are bad. But that one, yeah, and, and also it's not like they're saying, "Hey, can I read you my screenplay?" Yeah. It's just saying, "Can I say this three second thing?" Yes, you can. Yeah, that that is specifically <laughs> that, for, you, for you that I'm not asking you. for any money for yes. or anything. Yes. Yeah, it's and look, when an audience member comes up to give me a tag, <laughs> no thank you. Yes, uh, yes. Like I think maybe one time I don't remember an the, audience member doing give me oh, a tag. All the time. I mean, really? they don't say can I give you a tag? They yeah. just go, I got an idea for that joke. Oh, that's so funny. And so I mean, it is every single time, with the exception of once. Every single time it has been 
I've already thought of that. Right, right. I absolutely do not want to say the thing you want me to yes, say. Yes, yes. Have you ever thought of doing that joke but racist? <laughs> right, you right. Know, or like something people like that. that to me. People will give me like the filthiest tag. And, and, and yeah. when they go, what in my act <laughs> made you think? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, you are a you, – you, you could air on daytime television. Your act is I, I, squeaky clean. I always did that so I, – I, you know – for so I could go on on oh sorry That's now okay. I'm doing what she said yes uh, <laughs> sorry I just gave him a note to not tap the table so I always wanted to have my stuff go on TV. Yeah. So that's what I've always written for. And now it kind of doesn't matter because everyone's <laughs> being on HBO and Netflix and yeah, whatever. Yeah, you can say whatever but, you want. But I'm so used to that trying to help work on a TV set. But then when somebody gives you the filthiest tag in your life and you're like, what? Yeah, it's so ridiculous when someone... <laughs> racist, it's so funny. Yeah, it's like, absolutely. It's when like... it's like, you know, what part of my set <laughs> made you think... What it, what in the set where yes. I talk about being from a mixed family and how racism is logically stupid and etc. made you think, yeah, but you haven't said this about Asian people. <laughs> like, what a horrible idea. So... Um, and then I'll never get SNL. So, <laughs> well, you get it for, for a couple minutes. Yeah, exactly. You get to be on SNL for three days. So, uh, it, anyway, I, I just, I always found it interesting when people would say, you know, no, thank you to that. Yeah, because, that's absurd. It's so yeah. funny. And I think some of the greats understand that you know, good ideas come from all over the place. Well, even if you're just being polite, it's re- it just to say, absolutely, I'll listen for three seconds. Yeah, I'll yeah. listen for three seconds. Yeah. And I mean, there is there is an element of if someone is not a professional comic, I don't usually want to hear it. Right, right. Um, even if someone's aspirational, even if someone's a year or two in, it's kind of like I don't, I don't think you've you're not in the advanced class yet. Yeah. You know, but if someone is a working comic and they have an idea for me, absolutely. I write with my buddies all the time. Sure, sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we we have uh, we we've now grounded uh, who you are and what you do. Sure. Which is, you know, aside from being, you know, very funny stand up, the, the writing is most impressive to me. Well, thanks. So let's talk about when you screwed up or when someone screwed up around you. Um. Which is interesting to me because you've had the same job for 25 and a half years. Right, right. <laughs> so it's, it's not that one. Well, although that job did change. It has changed, That yeah. job very, very famously, very, very publicly. Right, right. When did you – I'm actually – you know what? I, I'm sorry to uh, – Call an audible here? Sorry, yeah, sorry to call an audible from – it's funny. You're wearing the Nebraska shirt. Yeah, I am. Sorry to call an audible from the story you were about to tell, mm-hmm. but I do want to talk about that when – so when Conan got The Tonight Show, mm-hmm. you know, you knew you were along for the ride the whole time? Uh, I assumed, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was bringing all his people with him. Yep. How did you hear about it not happening? But, but it's going off the air? Yes. Well, it's so, you know, the Tonight Show was, it was just a, it was just a different beast from what we were used to. And because it had this long, I, I, I'm giving all this preamble that probably doesn't. No, I want to hear all, I'm, I'm, this is such a public story. Right, That right. it's very interesting to hear an insider perspective. I want every little detail. Well, so Conan gets the Tonight on, in 2004, yeah, they call a meeting of the show. We all meet in this conference room, and he announces, he said, he just got a contract extension, and then 
in 2009, he'll be taking over The Tonight Show. Yeah. So here it is five years from now. We're going to be, and it's almost like someone's saying, calling you up and saying, I'm going to come to your house in five years, ring the doorbell and punch you in the nose. <laughs> yeah. Like you're wait. it's such a, you're waiting five years for this thing that you don't know what's going to, it's going to be like or whatever. So we're all excited. Um, but we don't know who's going to be invited and, you know, if, if the whole staff's going to be invited and, you know, cause they've got to relocate people and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Uh, but they asked me, you know, 2007 <laughs> or something, that, you know, we'd like you to come with us and blah, blah, blah. So so they're really preparing early. Well, they're preparing because, you know, people have – you'd have to go get a new home. You've yeah. got to put your kids in new schools. You've got to scout out neighborhoods first and scout out it, schools. it was in New York. It was in New York, right? Yeah. And we're moving to Los Angeles. So And I had never lived in Los Angeles. And actually there was some funny things where – we came out in December of 2008 to look at houses. And we put my son in this baseball camp, just like a day camp out here. It was, you know, it was Christmas time. December and, 2008. Nothing weird happened in the housing market around then. <laughs> and my son was a good baseball player, but it's also, he was good for, we were in suburban New York. It's Southern California is a whole different thing. Yeah. But... In fact, three of his teammates are now in the major leagues. Wow. Insane. Yeah. Insane. So, But anyway, we put him in this thing, and it's just this kind of day camp for kids and, and whatever. So we're looking at houses, and we come to pick them up. And what ha- happened was somebody had stolen like a Mercedes or something, and there's a police chase. And the guy like crashed the Mercedes, got out of the car, ran across the field where the kids were, and the cops chased him and caught him. They tased him in front of the kids. In front of the kids. How old was your son was at the like, time? He was, he was 12 years old. You know? oh. So you pick him up from baseball and you're like, oh, how's baseball? Well, that's yeah. what you end up hearing about. Be like, someone was caught stealing. Yeah. Be like, oh, the catcher's got a good arm. Be like, not quite. Not quite. So just this insane thing. So anyway, so we, um, we move out here. You know, we bought a new house. Um, we put our kids in new schools. And um, the other thing that happened was before, we, we were doing four shows a week for the, uh, with the Conan show for years. And Conan's like, hey, the Tonight Show's five shows a week. We better be prepared. We're going to do five shows a week. And the network's like, no, four is good. You know, no, no, no. So Conan insisted, and they said, okay. So we did five shows a night for two and a half years to get ready for The Tonight Show. And then, so you did – so you changed – so Conan's show changed from – before he had The Tonight Show. Before he had changed The Tonight Show. Changed from four to five. Changed from four to five. And it, what happens is having that extra day to prepare and so on and be ready for the next – makes such a difference. And now you're under the gun five nights in a row. That is also something that's pretty amazing that he had the foresight to – Here's the and thing. The, and the work ethic. This guy – prepares like you wouldn't believe you know he was a he graduated from harvard magna cum laude or summa cum laude whatever it was yeah one of the cum laude one of the cum laude's yeah and it's it's incredible how much he prepares you know he'll have a thing where before like the head of nbc would say hey we need you to to do a few minutes at this you know autism benefit or something so we'd have us meet with him we'd write stuff with him and you'd go and you'd write stuff and you'd meet with him. And he's like, hey, this is great stuff. And you're like, okay, okay, let's meet again tomorrow night. It's like, tomorrow night? 
I thought you liked what we had. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And no, he's got to. It's got to be get you know the next night and the next night and whatever. And that's he's. I always said, like, mm, that's pretty good. I think I'm all set. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And he's so much like, no, it's got to be better. And it's got to be better. And well, I mean, that's why he is where he is. That's why he is. And it's actually forced me to kind of go, ah, this isn't good enough or whatever, you know? Yeah. So he super prepares. And so he wanted to be prepared for The Tonight Show. So it's like, let's do five nights a week. That's what we're doing. So uh, The Tonight Show had always had this long monologue. Johnny Carson famously would come out and do a lot of jokes, and and Jay Leno did the same thing. So, when I first started Conan, we were doing four jokes, and then he started he ramped it up to like eight before the after he got the Tonight Show when he was knowing he was going to go out and do the Tonight yeah. Show, and then the Tonight Show is going to be fifteen jokes. So, I was writing endless, endless. I, I'd go in and write fifty jokes a day. Yeah, and not look up. And in the in old days in New York, if I if we had a, were having a good day, I'd give my dad a call, see how he was doing. You know, in Florida, and with this, never had a good day. <laughs> like, yeah, no, you just had, you the, had the, the... the hole was never filled. You were just working and working and working. And you know, by the time I got home at seven thirty or eight, well, my dad's been in bed for a couple hours. You yeah. know, so. I want to hear the rest of the story. You got it. We're going to throw it a break real quick. Support the people who support us, and we'll find out what else happened with Conan's Tonight Show. Joined here, of course, with Brian Kiley, wonderful comedian, and been a writer for Conan for 25 and a half years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to let that go. <laughs> so telling us the story of how everything went down behind the scenes when Conan took over The Tonight Show. Right, right. So... So Conan uh, starts The Tonight Show, and actually right before that, they decided to give Jay Leno the 10 o'clock spot. Yeah, the the nail in the coffin. So instead of, um, you know, Law and Orders and those shows or whatever in front of us, it was now Jay was doing and it. And the, Did they move the time The Tonight Show was starting to? Was it? No, we say you know the Tonight Show stayed at eleven thirty, but Jay's show was from ten to eleven, and then there was like local news in then between. Then the local news in between, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, when that happened, I like I remember just as a fan going, "What the hell?" Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I guess you know I never I don't want to say the wrong thing here about about anything, but so that's what happened. So then we started and we were doing long monologues, and it was a very it was a very intense show, you know. Yeah. It, it it just was the the pressure that you felt every day. I, and I thought, well, eventually we'll get used to it and it'll dissipate. It's like we we weren't there long enough. It never yeah, dissipated. Not, it was, yeah. I just had a knot in my stomach every day. And how long was it? I think it was seven months, yeah. seven and a half months, something like that. And I um, one day I got seven jokes on, which was the best. You know, that's seven monologue jokes, and still not enough. Yeah, you know, and it was like this is the best day I ever had. <laughs> you know, yeah. I got seven jokes on national television, and not enough. Wow. You know, so and it wasn't like Conan's. I had it's it just we always needed more. We'd we'd get in there. It's like what else you got? And it's like that's all I got. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So that's just it. It it just was very intense, and um, there was just a lot of scrutiny, and um, but. It's so interesting because to me, you know, Conan followed David Letterman at, as as a complete unknown. And the show was 
very shaky in the beginning, and he got terrible reviews. And I'd be at work, and I'd be reading the the New York Post or the Daily News, and there'd be rumors of who's going to replace Conan, and Conan's going to. And go were up you the there end. from the start? I started six months in, so but it was just there was, you know, the odds were against him. He he hadn't he he wasn't even a stand up, you know. I remember watching it early on and not enjoying it at all. Well, it's so funny because once I started there. Off, off camera. I mean, off, not on the. Sh- you know, he would come into the writer's office. He was the funniest guy I ever saw in my life. Yeah. And it was like, and I'd been a comedian for a number of years and knew a lot of funny people, but he would. What he, the difference with him is, other people could be super quick and they'd say the funniest thing in the room. He would say something and he would build on this thing and he would create something on a whole cloth that was five minutes long that was funny all the way through. I'd never seen anything like that. It, yeah. it was just he's he's so creative and, and imaginative and it's like what is this you know well once I think part of it early on well early on I may have been too young to appreciate but also Conan became more Conan as as it went on yes absolutely and now you know his remotes people love and I and that's that was the Conan that we'd see around the office yeah, of him kind of going around and busting over his balls and being, you know, and being silly and outrageous. And if there's something inappropriate, he would kind of lean into it in a funny way where he's, where he's self-aware. Yeah, and of it, knowing he's intentionally being like knowing this is the worst thing someone could say and saying, you know, that the, kind of the thing. clip with him and Nicole Scherzinger. I don't know if you've seen this. It like went viral. It was basically like she was wearing half a shirt. Right, right, right. And was criticizing him for glancing <laughs> yeah, at her yeah, breasts. Yeah. And he just, instead of being like, oh, I'm so sorry, he just stood going, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It was just, it was so funny. Exactly, exactly. That's the kind of thing he does where it's, he takes it to the worst extreme. Yeah, it was great. Which is so funny. And, you know, when he got asked to do like his Dartmouth, the Dartmouth commencement speech or whatever. Yeah. He would say, guys, do you mind if I practice, you know, read some of my speech or whatever, or Dartmouth? And then he would just say the most vile, and th- pretend to be reading the most vile thing. And it was That's so, amazing. It was so fun. And, and not only was it saying the most vile thing, it's as if he's going to say that there. Yeah. But the idea was that not only, not only did the entire audience leave, they all took every brick from the build from all the buildings. And by the time he was done with his speech, there's no more Dartmouth. <laughs> like it's just an empty field. Yeah, because just... his speech was so offensive. You That's know? phenomenal. Yeah. And so um, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where I saw why they it's like, oh, I know why Lauren picked him. This guy's the funniest guy I've ever seen. You yeah. know? And it's just that he but you still need that experience. It doesn't matter, you know, you still need that to learn how to do it, you know? Yeah. So the fact that he followed David Letterman as a complete, not only a complete unknown, but someone with no stand-up experience whatsoever and no on-camera experience, it's and lasted for 16 years. Yeah. We thought, well, even if it's a little shaky start, he'll get his, he'll get his feet wet and 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 be fine you yeah. know and you know uh, I, I mean so we were kind of th- you know we knew that it wasn't it wasn't like we were a hit or whatever but we also thought you know 
they'll give him some time to kind of get his, you know, figure things out and so on and so forth. And so one day where I'm in the office, I've, I shared an office with my friend Michael Gordon and our head writer at the time, Mike Sweeney, came in and he went, go to TMZ. And I was like, what? So we go on the internet, you know, we're on yeah. the internet and go to TMZ and it said Conan's out, Leno's in at 11.30. Yeah. And that was just a shock. And so they called a meeting. Uh, we all had to go down into the studio because they just need enough seats for everybody. So yeah. the whole crew was there. And um, Conan tells us this is, you know, this is what they're proposing and we don't know what's going to happen. And, um, and um, you know, um, and we were all just in shock and we didn't know, you know. So... You know, he said that he'll take care of people and make sure, you know, and um, so uh, next thing you know, you know, they want to move him to, I guess they want to put Jay at 1130 till midnight and then have Conan be on from midnight to 1230 or, you know. Oh, so that's the time slot I remember. The, yes. Yeah, the, the half hour shift. The half hour shift. So that they were going to give Jay a half hour and then push the... And I think Conan felt that that's the Tonight Show wouldn't be the Tonight Show under those circumstances or whatever. Yeah. And, and so uh, uh, he said no. He said no. I'm just you know. And so they said, okay, well we're you're going to go off the air. You know, whatever it was, January 28th or January 26th, whatever it was. So yeah. he just had to, to the end of the month, and then that was it. So those next two weeks. We did all these bits about one of the bits was about how, hey, we're going off the air, so we're going to spend as much money of NBC's money as we possibly can before we leave. And so, you know, he brings out this this Picasso and spray paints it. And then he's got this, you know, he brings out this, you know, a Lamborghini or whatever. And That's and, an amazing bit. As, and. Of course they were jokes. Of course. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not a real Picasso. It's a, one thing is we're going to show these NFL highlights that are very expensive that you can't show, you know, all this yeah. stuff. And Kathy Lee Griff Gifford on her show is like, this is terrible what Conan is doing, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars or not. It's like, oh. this is a bit. This is a comedy bit. Of course we're not. We, we, we didn't have the resources. You think it's a like real that. Picasso? Yeah. And it's I like, love the idea that she's like, they're destroying priceless <laughs> works of art. I know. It was so insane. And also, these these football highlights, it's like, your husband was one of the greatest NFL players. Of course these aren't, aren't real NFL highlights and yeah. whatever, you know. Um, it was just a bit that we did. She never watches games. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, I actually wrote a bit that they did where it was uh, Conan showing up for work and then suddenly he's being shot at and he pulls out a gun and he's shooting back at them oh and him and Andy and they're shooting at the NBC executives and yeah. and um, and that was a fun because I it's it was fun for me to have something other than just a monologue joke that was yeah yeah like a a a video bit you know um, so. <sighs> So it was just a sudden thing, and um, and you know, and it's it's like okay, we're. I thought I'd be doing this for twenty years, and yeah. you know, and I remember it was my wife's birthday it was January fourteenth, and we went out to dinner with this other couple, and I had been okay with it. People were crying and all this stuff, and I've been, I don't, I must have just been in shock. I didn't really have any sort of emotional reaction whatsoever. Yeah. But we're watching this other couple and they start, start talking about it and all of a sudden it just hits me like, oh, 
what am I going to do? We just bought a house. My, we put yeah. our kids in schools, you know. And my son's in Little League. They're yeah. getting they're they're, they're getting <laughs> they're uh, getting tased. They're seeing yeah. people being tased. But I, I don't think I said a word for an hour after. They're all talking about everything, whatever. And it, it just hit me, and I just kind of sunk into this depression oh, of like, wow. like oh, what am I going to do now? Kind of thing, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, that was. Um, and the other thing about that was. Wherever you went during those two weeks, people were talking about Conan and Jay Leno and it's so on. huge. So it was, and it was the kind of thing, like, if you ever watch Gilligan's Island, every time they turn on the radio, they happen to be talking about the seven castaways. Do you right. know what I mean? And this was the kind of thing is, every time I turned on the TV, if I came home, they were talking about Conan and Jay. It was, you couldn't escape it, you know? And you'd go to get a, in line at the coffee shop, the people in front of you are talking about it. It's like, everywhere you went, that's what people were buzzing about, you know? And it's got to be weird to be part of that story. Absolutely. And there were times where I'd, I had to meet with Conan. It's just me and him in his office, and all this stuff is going on. And there is people outside protesting. Like, one of the nice things, Conan's fans yeah. held protests, and they were up in arms or whatever, which and, is kind of cool. And that led to the live shows. It did. It did. It led to the live shows, and it started the whole Team Coco thing, which hadn't been a thing before. Yeah. Um and he did the live shows where he did he he wasn't allowed to be on TV for six months or I, I don't know what the yes yeah, some sort of non compete in the contract yes, yes for so he was off for a few so he did this live tour and um, I think he really enjoyed that and um, and what a great there are so many people in his position because by then he never needed to work another day in his life. Right, right. Financially, yes. he and generations of future O'Briens were set forever. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and instead of saying, all right, well, we'll wait a couple of months and then I'll be able to start this new thing again, he is a workhorse and he's a perfectionist. He and he created this live tour, which also was brilliant because it helped galvanize this giant growing groundswell of support. Right, right. And and he has a, a lot of young fans and, and continues to have a lot of young fans. And and was also the underdog in that story. Yes, yes, he was. And I think that people really enjoy, people love those shows. People came out to see him and, you know, he's selling at these big theaters. And I think that was really fun for him to, you know, a, a TV studio, if you got a couple hundred people, but to go out in front of thousands of people and that kind of thing. Right. And also, it's got to be energizing he knew he had fans. He would get stopped in the street, I'm sure. But to be able to perform for them, interact with the people, whereas, you know, TV is a very one-sided relationship. Yes. Whereas live performing is not. Absolutely. And plus, you know, he'd be doing, you know, 45 minutes up front of riffing and fooling around. And, you know, you can't do that on TV. You yeah. Know? Like five minutes is plenty. It's yeah, like, hey, the, that's the enough. The freedom we of it. Yeah, you just don't have enough time on television. So yeah. I think he really, you know... Um, but you know, I mean, so that was, that was a tough thing in the sense that it was so everyone in the world knew about it. But, you know? and, and then when did you find out about the TVS deal? Well, a few months later there was time, he was in negotiations with Fox and, a, and the problem was F Fox had some sitcom deals that they had already made. And I think some of the affiliates were, had already, uh, it wasn't a unified thing. So some the, in some markets, we would have been on at midnight, and some we would have been on at 11, some we would have been on at 11.30, and all this kind of, And As someone who has been on in that time slot for Fox, that's when my show ran. Wow, wow. 
Right. And some in some markets we'd be on at two a.m. Yeah. And in some markets we'd be preempted for college football. Right. Right. Yeah. So, Fox was not a we're going to have a late night show every. I mean, it would take them probably two years of carriage deals expiring right. in order to have in order to free up that exactly. Real estate. They had already had a lot of previous commitments, and so what was I went? You know, my aunt died. My she was in her nineties, and she died, and I had to fly home to Boston. And so I had my phone shut off for six hours or whatever. And yeah. in that time, whatever, TBS made a deal with Conan and it was announced. So I got off the plane and turned on my phone. There's 40, you know, phone phone messages and emails and what I was like, oh, my God, like what? I was only gone yeah. for a couple hours, guys, you know, but all this went down there. And it was like TBS, like we hadn't heard a peep about TBS even being a factor or you know a contender in this or whatever but um you know they made him a great offer and they've really been great with us i don't remember like nbc you know we had to deal with the censors every day and, yeah. and stuff like that I, I don't even know who the censor is at tb like they've let us do whatever we want and yeah. and um so it's and and the nice thing about this show is with the tonight show you it was almost like you have to do a certain kind of show because this is that the way that show has been. You know, this is yeah. this is the we're kind of starting with the blank slate here. This is the Conan show. We can do whatever we want. If he doesn't want to do monologue, he doesn't have to. If he doesn't want, you know, whatever, uh, whatever we want, it's kind of like there's sort of no rules now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And you know, and and not only that, but way fewer people are watching live. Yes, hugely so. Yes, which is both. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. You know, curse, obviously, in TV, you want ratings. But at the same time, it allows you to take chances. And then those chances can lead to enormous digital success. Right, right. And our audience is so young. Most, you know, very few of them are turning on the TV at 11 o'clock and sitting down and watching it. They're watching on their phones the next day or, or at 2 in the morning. Or, you know, they're watching on their laptops and they're picking out the bits they want to see. Yeah, every so the actual Nielsen numbers of Conan, I I had see I saw this the other day um where you know the average rating it's about 350,000 live viewers which is very small for television. But I don't think I've seen a Conan clip on the web with under 2 million views in a very yeah, long time. That's just it. it and there's some there's there's we just I just saw one the other day I hadn't seen in a while and it was Will Ferrell with his, he's teaching these dog. He brings out these dogs for these dog tricks. Yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny, and I, I, that's got to have a zillion views because you know yeah. there there are bits like that that's like that you're gonna watch over and over because it's just it's just a classic comedy bit yeah. that's pri you know priceless. You know, so yeah, is exactly it's our audience is it tends to be people watching at work the next day or you know in school or whatever you know but what's what's incredible it's funny because you know starting the episode being like oh yeah you've been writing for conan forever that's a steady job and like the more we talk about it the more i'm like oh i guess not well yes yeah. i guess it has been quite up and down it has been and then also the, there were there was a writer's strike a few years ago yeah and you know, you're part of the guild, and you have to be part of the guild. And if the guild says he's going on strike, he can't go. You know, guys, I, I'm, I, I'm still going to go to work. You know, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work that way. You know, so, um, 
it was very strange to be on strike. I felt like it's like, oh, this is something from another era or something, you know. Yeah. And we'd go and we'd pick it, pick it in the morning. I guess you could pick it in the morning and the afternoon, and I'd usually go in the morning. And that was a, the good thing was they actually get to meet some of the other writers because everyone's the Daily Show writers. I mean, we were in New York, and and you know, Law and Order writers. They're all in their own bubble, you know. They're at work in their own thing, and then we're at work in our own thing. We it don't becomes like a networking thing. Yes. Yeah, so this was actually like, oh, we're actually hanging out with the other writers and picking yeah. with them and See meeting who's other got people. Got the best written signs. <laughs> and that stuff was fun. It was really kind of fun to. Um, I mean, that part was fun, but having no money for four and a half months. That's not as that's, fun. That wasn't too fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Brian, I mean, we've talked kind of about another person most of this <laughs> episode. But, you know, from the start, I want to emphasize to people just how funny your comedy is. Well, thanks. And so tell the people where they can find more of you. Uh, well, they can go to com and look at my website and um, or, you know, see stuff on YouTube. And it's so funny because that I joined a new gym recently and... I'm very quiet and I just kind of keep yeah. whatever. And now people are like, hey, we saw you, <laughs> whatever. And people, and I, well, my favorite thing, I don't know if this happens to you, is when people retell one of your jokes, yeah. their version of it sometimes never is, is good. Never is good. And also it's like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, yeah, <laughs> why would you like that version yeah, of it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And it just makes me laugh so hard hearing that. You know? I once had someone correct me. On my j- no, no, it doesn't go that way. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Yeah, I, I'll just take the L on this one. But also, sometimes people will be watching some, and they'll say some joke, and you go, "Jeez, I haven't thought about that joke in 20 years." You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Like I, I did that with uh, one of the first big headliners I ever performed with was Sarah Silverman, mm-hmm. and you know, I didn't work with her again. I think for three, four years, and I went over her at that show, and I was like, "Oh, you told this one joke. I loved it so much," and I told it to her, and she goes. I think that might have been the only time I ever said that wow, joke. Wow, Because yes. she just didn't, it didn't work the way she wanted it to work. But to me, it was such a funny premise that I still remember Sure, it. sure. I had someone to do that to me where there was talk, this is years ago when I was first starting out, I was hosting this show. I had been doing it a few years. And they were talking about these obscenity laws. Yeah. That they were going to have to pass these obscenity laws in Boston. And I had forgotten where I just opened with, what the fuck is it with these obscenity laws or something like that? Yeah. And I never swear. No. And I totally I, think, you I, know that, I mean? It took me back to even hear you say that just now. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the kind of thing that joke only worked if it was a swear. And I didn't even remember doing it. Right. And somebody came up and said that to me. And I thought, of all the jokes from my act to remember. That's the one you remember. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I go 10 years without saying fuck on stage. Yeah, you but know? that's the one that resonated. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Brian, thank you so much for sure. doing this. And, you know, it's, it's always such a pleasure. And I can't recommend your work enough to to those both who are comedy fans and also aspiring comedians and writers because it's just it's it's done such at such a technical level well, that thanks. you know it's, it's something that. to study. Thanks. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs>